Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Bank of Canada will receive a renewed mandate today. There was lots of talk that, you know, it might actually be given a dual mandate, which is to, you know, tamp down inflation, but, you know, uh, also to be careful about trying to, you know, create full employment. So a dual mandate, but that's not likely to happen. It's likely to be a tweaked mandate. What should we expect in tomorrow's economic update? Now with this uh, fall economic update, uh, Trudeau seems to want to add more to the problem uh, by spending uncontrolled sums uh, on things we don't need uh, at great expense to the Canadian people. And the government deals with a COVID relief package and the Omicron variant as we head into the last week of Parliament before the Christmas break. The first thing that I would say for anyone who's watching and even the opposition is that if they want to help us to make sure that we have uh, the tools to uh, foster economic growth to protect Canadians and, 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 and businesses across the country is to approve pending uh, the Bill C-2, which is pending in the House. That would be the first thing to make sure that we have the right authority to approve uh, these programs. It's Monday, December 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. So we're going to hear from the government today on the mandate for the Bank of Canada. There's been so much talk about inflation in the last few months. The Conservatives, the official opposition, have been asking a lot of questions about it. They've been using the term just inflation, and many people have been pointing out it's not up to the government to control inflation, it's up to the Bank of Canada, but it is up to the government to set the mandate for the Bank of Canada. So what's happening today and, and what do you expect? That's right, Mark. Every five years, uh, the the, uh, the central bank's mandate uh, to deal with, you know, monetary policy, uh, to deal with, uh, you know, inflation risks um, and so on, money supply, is renewed, and so that comes up before the end of this year. So it'll be renewed, but there was lots of talk that you know it might actually be given a dual mandate, which is to you know tamp down inflation, but you know uh, also to be careful about trying to you know create full employment. So a dual mandate, hmm. uh, but that's not likely to happen. It's likely to be a tweaked mandate, where the inflation target is still between one and three percent, so it typically hovers around two. But we know inflation's at an 18-year record high, you know, nudging up against five percent. So a lot of people concerned that you know the bank needs to start, you know, you know, moving on interest rates to try and tamp down demand, try and rest, uh, wrestle inflation down somewhat. Uh, but I think, you know, what we're likely to see instead uh, is a. a Holding the inflation target at two percent and and taking into consideration impacts of interest rate changes and so on and managing uh, the, the, you know the the economy and and interest rates with a view to ensuring that that employment is stable and continues to grow. Um, so you know a lot of people also point out that all of that, while maybe it's not part of the official mandate in terms of a, the notion of a dual mandate. All of those decisions are now factored in, especially in the last couple of years of the pandemic. They're all factored into the decisions the bank makes now anyway. It's conscious of what's happening with employment. It isn't just single-mindedly looking at an interest rate, uh, an inflation rate of 2%, and at the expense of everything else. It's been considering all of those other factors in the last couple of years. So it'll be a tweak of the mandate, uh, but not a complete uh, makeover of a mandate in the sense of, of making it into a dual mandate. It'll still be a focus on inflation with uh, consideration for, for employment. 
All right. And then tomorrow, in what's shaping up to be a big week with regard to economic issues, we're going to get a fiscal update from the Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland. What are you hearing about that? They've typically, you know, fiscal updates, you know, sort of, you know, pre-pandemic had essentially become mini budgets. There's supposed to be an opportunity at the sort of waypoint, you know, sort of between budgets for a government to come out and say, okay, here's sort of where we are in our predictions. Here's what the fiscal uh, picture looks like. Here's what the deficit shape, you know, here's how we're doing with the deficit. Here's what the, the debt looks like. Here's how our spending has been so far. And we're right on track or a bit off track as we head towards the next budget. And, you, you know, what they've become is, in effect, you know, for a number of years, many budgets. We get whole policy announcements and fiscal updates and more spending. Uh, the indications are it's not going to be that elaborate this time, that it's going to be more more of a traditional fiscal update, which focuses on the numbers, uh, with lots of language uh, around a government that is, uh, you know, is being transparent, is focused on the needs of Canadians, is, you know, uh, fully aware of the challenges uh, on affordability issues, including inflation and housing. So we'll hear lots of talk in the fiscal update about how the, the government's aware of what's happening. And, you know, it'll it'll talk again about the uh, the child care, $10 a day child care, its plans you know, um, unveiled during the election campaign to deal with housing costs and so on and cut down on foreign speculation that pushes up housing prices. But in terms of great, you know, big spending plans and, and big uh, allocations of new money. I uh, don't think we're going to see that. Uh, I'd be very surprised if we did. I think instead, the questions people are going to be asking about uh, the fiscal update when we see it is, are going to be questions around, uh, is the government going to push ahead full steam given uh, the challenge of inflation and uh, lots of, uh, you know, lots of experts suggest that, uh, you know, yeah, pouring money into the economy can push along inflation. Is it the, uh, as some would uh, suggest, is it the main cause of higher inflation? Uh, a lot of experts would dispute that. Yeah. But, you know, the higher oil prices over the last year have, have probably created a windfall for the government somewhere in the area of about $10 billion. Uh, are they going to talk about spending that money? Or are they going to talk about putting that perhaps against the deficit? And so I'm, I'm watching to see what they do, if they've got a windfall, what they say about uh, increased or different spending, what they say about any plans to to tackle inflation, uh, how quickly they push ahead with affordability issues like, like housing, and... Uh, you know, uh, whether there is anywhere in this fiscal update any discussion around a, a date for returning to, to a balanced budget. Yeah. And and on that, Peter, and, and more broadly, just on the state of the economy, uh, how worried do you think Christia Freeland is, the prime minister is, the people in the prime minister's office about economic issues? We've just been through almost two years of a pandemic with extraordinary levels of spending, huge deficits, and now there is this risk of inflation. Uh, and we know that often, whether it's the government's fault or not, economic issues are what can bring a government down. So do you think this is an area of deep concern at the moment? Sure, I think it's an area of deep concern, because over time, I mean, right now, the narrative is, is bogged down around who's responsible for inflation. 
conservatives say it's it's the government spending, uh, reckless spending that's driving up you know uh, driving up inflation. The government says, look, this is a, a global problem. We're we're coming out of the pandemic. Economies are starting to recover. There's pent up pent up demand. There's supply chain problems. All of these external factors are driving up inflation. Uh, but it's not exclusively those things. There, you know, government spending can push up inflation. So there's they're conscious of how. Uh, a narrative that reflects badly on them over time, yeah, it could be political cost, you know, could be costly politically if they uh, don't find a way to put some measures forward and move forward on their plans to deal with affordability. Uh, they can point to lots of outside uh, experts and sources that say, look, we're, we're going to run up against high inflation. Lots of expectation that uh, that will start to get tamped down in New Year at some point, probably no later than you know late spring, early summer, when the Bank of Canada would probably look at having to push up interest rates again. That'll start to tamp down some of the demand. But the big question mark in all this, Mark, is you know what's the role of government? Have we decided yet? Uh, when a government, in, you know, federally or provincially, gets to step back from spending on the pandemic, massive billions and billions of dollars of spending we've seen in the last couple of years, but now there's the variant. And so even as much as Christopher Freeland's talk about, you know, uh, the, the final package to, of supports for Canadians, uh, who knows where we're going to be a month from now? Maybe it's not the final package, and maybe governments are going to have to step back in uh, with plans about support and spending if uh, we, we you know we if things start to go sideways uh, with this variant yeah and, and just on that uh, what what do you expect over the final few days uh, of Parliament it's the last week that Parliament is scheduled to sit before uh, the the Christmas break which will stretch till the end of January um, what what do you expect to be the focus of the government uh, with regard to this new variant and and relief for Canadians, support for Canadians, because obviously there are steps the government can take even when Parliament's not sitting, but this is the last week that it'll sure. be discussed in the House. Yeah, I think, and there's, there's you know, um, given, the, given the priorities the government said it had for the four-week sitting, um I think you have to look at this reasonably and say, you know, a fair bit's been accomplished in a short amount of time. Uh, and maybe that's a message for uh, what else can happen when Parliament does reconvene in the new year. But the government, you know, got three of its priority uh, pieces uh, of, well, you know, three of the four measures it said it needed to get through, uh, it's gotten through. The last piece is the, uh, you know, this, this what ostensibly is supposed to be the final COVID uh, relief package that's been that com- you know committee and comes back uh, to the house uh, probably finished out of out of that committee tonight and back in the house in the next couple of days uh, to be dealt with um, and if that happens then that COVID package is is pushed through and Parliament's done its work before it goes away uh, for the uh, for, uh, for the winter break. The question is, as you point out, uh, lots of things could happen even though parliamentarians aren't sitting and the number one focus once they go away is going to be what's happening with uh, omicron and the variant and uh you know whether the government has to start talking again about even deeper travel restrictions whether as we see some spread in the provinces do they you know you know nobody wants to hear the l word again but does, does the lockdown word come up again and our government's then pressed uh, to have to step in and and do some of the things we saw them doing, you know, at the outset of the pandemic in terms of uh, relief programs and support yeah. programs, 
nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, but um, who knows where this is headed? And governments will be on duty and on guard, and perhaps pressed into action again with with some of these programs if things get bad. Yeah. All right. It's going to be a busy week heading towards the finish line uh, later this week. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for breaking it down for us. All right, Mark. uh, Take care. We'll uh, talk again soon. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues, it's time for political leaders to tackle the hard issues in Canadian health care. Sears writes, As we pray that we begin to see the light at the end of the pandemic tunnel, there is no more important Build Back Better challenge than transforming healthcare. Yes, it will cost more money. And yes, the struggle over who pays for what will be a typically Canadian, federal, provincial bun fight. But now is the time for today's leaders to create a stronger, more connected, more resilient, and innovative Canadian healthcare system for a new generation. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, the kids are not all right. The Sun writes, While we may not know with certainty for quite some time whether lockdowns caused more harm than they prevented for the general population, we believe it's reasonable to conclude that when it comes to kids, there is no denying that the harms outweighed the good. This isn't just about Canadian kids. It's about kids around the world. And a flagship report from UNICEF should serve as a wake-up call to just how damaged many millions of kids have been due to COVID-19 and our responses to it. In Maclean's, Philippe J. Fournier considers the freefall of Quebec's Liberals. Fournier writes, Having its right-of-centre and business-savvy flank eroded by the CAC and without the threat of separation on the near horizon, the Quebec Liberal Party's very raison d'être has become a blur, and has driven them into an existential crisis. A greener and more progressive platform may be an attempt to attract soft federalist voters, but they would mostly be urban voters. Seat-wise, this would not help the Quebec Liberal Party grow beyond its loyal Montreal base. Without stronger numbers in rural Quebec, the party could soon suffer its worst electoral defeat since Confederation. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be joined by Minister of Families Karina Gould for an early learning and child care announcement in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs Dominic LeBlanc and Minister of Official Languages Jeanette Petipa-Taylor will join virtually from Moncton, New Brunswick. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will hold a joint news conference with the Governor of the Bank of Canada. Defence Minister Anita Anand will deliver an apology on behalf of the government to all current and former members of Canada's defence team who have been affected by sexual assault, sexual harassment, or discrimination based on sex, gender, gender identity, or sexual orientation. International Trade Minister Mary Ng will be joined by Minister for Women Marcy Ian to make an announcement about the Black Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. The Senate Committee on Social Affairs, Science and Technology will hear from Labour Minister Seamus O'Regan. And the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada will hold a news conference following the table of her annual report. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, December 13th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.